Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 20th, 2019, the Don't Forget Grandpa edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and my kids are Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. And I'm Isaac Butler. I'm a writer and podcaster here in Brooklyn, New York, and the father of Iris, who will tell you that she is four and a half. And my name is Dwayne Richards. I'm a writer, author keynote speaker and dad dude as people say like dad influencer whatever the heck that means (laughs) and i have two daughters emiko who is eight and my youngest daughter reiko who's going to turn six in a few days today on the show we've got a question about keeping grandpa's spirit alive when we know he's about to pass on and a question about daily mealtime struggles with a kid who has some attention issues plus triumphs and fails and recommendations We're going to start the show with triumphs and fails. Isaac, do you have a triumph or fail this week? I'm going to go triumph uh, this week. Um, So this is sort of a long-term triumph, or or I would say it took a lot of setup to kind of come to fruition, but it it has recently, which is that... um, Our triumph, I think, is really revising and reconsidering kind of the logistics of Iris's day-to-day life. Um, What we discovered was that bedtime was a huge disaster. She was always procrastinating. She just always seemed really upset that the day was ending. She just seemed kind of overwhelmed and and, and put out. And, And we just decided to try to think about kind of what was going on and to talk to her a little bit about it, which is complicated when you have like a four-year-old, you know, sometimes they tell you that something's bothering them and, you know, that lasts one day. And sometimes it actually is a serious chronic issue that you need to pay attention to. And what we realized out of all of these conversations with each other and with her is that um, too much of her time was structured, that we were just sort of imposing too much of a, of a schedule on her. Um, you know, she's at school till at that point, like 545 every day, basically. And then there were weekend activities and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we actually started pulling back her scheduled activities as, as much as we could. So, you know, I started because I'm a freelancer. I started picking her up earlier from school. And then, uh, on the weekends, you know, there was one of her activities she no longer wanted to do. So her weekends, instead of having lots of classes, she now has like one class and then one other thing she does each day, whether it's a play date or going to the museum or baking with me or whatever. Um, because Iris is a kid who much like myself, I learned when I was her age really likes, um, Uh, being on her own, playing on her own. She doesn't want us to play with toys with her. You know, she really just wants to like control her own time and space. And so I feel like, uh, you know, we decided to really respect that, that that's what she wanted and needed and give it to her. And I got to say the um, results have been pretty big. She's just like a, a, a noticeably happier and more relaxed Uh, child and bedtime's gotten a lot easier and you know all that's been really great just in time of course for school to end and now she's in summer camp and all the logistics (laughs) have gone out the window and we have to revise them but the nice thing is that we like have this recent experience of like hey you can actually kind of listen to and work with this kid to figure out what she needs um uh and so we have that experience again as we're sort of everything's getting topsy-turvy over the summer so that's been really great so basically, you treated your child like a human being, Yes. figured out what she wanted and needed, yeah. and then provided her with those things in that space, and she is now behaving like more of a human being as yeah. a result, is what I get from that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's weird. It's like, you know, with kids, they they sometimes, you know, not every complaint a four-year-old has should be taken 100% seriously. You know what I mean? Really? Like, yeah. So, I mean, you know, sometimes the thing that she's upset about is that she's literally not able to watch television all day, you know, uh, uh, because what she wants is more than anything is to watch My Little Pony. So, you know, like it also took a, a kind of listing where you're kind of trying to figure out, you know, as they say in writing, like what's the note behind the note? You know what I mean? And and and, and I think it really brought us to a good place. 
Well, that's awesome. All right, Dewayne Richards, do you have a triumph or fail for us this week? Wow, you know what? Isaac really made me think about mine, so I am going to change what I had previously in my head, and I'm going to go with a triumph, actually, because they are few and far between, and I want to celebrate those. I have two daughters, as I mentioned. They are eight and almost six, and in the beginning of the school year, I was kind of like, you know, girls, you're not... I just made this really... I'm calling it ridiculous now. I didn't think it was at the time rule where kids you cannot watch any shows no screen times no ipads no television no nothing during the week you have to put your nose in a book you have to either study play outside whatever but you cannot turn on a screen because you know i'm following all these bloggers and all these people all these parenting experts who are saying how bad screen time is right so i'm like hey i'm gonna fall in line you kids are gonna fall in line so Then what was funny, my kids were doing well, they were doing well, but they were miserable. Like they were miserable. They hated this. So then sadly, my dad passed away from cancer in February and it took that moment to really realize like, what the hell am I doing? I mean, are the kids, Hmm. why can't the kids be kids? My dad's memo or my dad's uh, motto, I should say, is to celebrate life. And I thought, like, these are eight-year-old, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old kid. Like, why can't they just be kids? And if they want to watch TV, they can watch TV. And and I was like, wait a second, are they good kids? Are they not jerks? So so if they check those boxes mm. and they're doing well in school, why can't they just watch, you know, My Little Pony? Like your your kid watches, your Iris watches. You know, by the way, <laughs> tangentially, that uh, My Little Pony, the humanoid version of it, is a little bit creepy. I don't know if I can get get down with that, but um, <laughs> I, I, my kids dig it. I, I've kept its existence secret from Iris so far. Yeah, yeah, do that. That that's that's a triumph right there. You can just stop stop rolling there because <laughs> man, those those I, I I can't I can't get down with that. But um, I digress. So anyway, the kids are doing well now and they're excelling in school. And I just realized we put, we impose all these rules based on what society expects from us, right? Like as far as like your kids should not watch all this TV, they should be doing this. And, and when I grew up, my dad, basically my childhood was eating KFC and watching WWF, which was WWF wrestling, now WWE wrestling at the time, watching Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and all that stuff, literally like five hours a day. And myself and my two brothers turned out okay. <laughs> I'm a best-selling author. My brother's yeah. a keynote speaker, and my other brother is a Harvard graduate. So we did okay. So it's like, why do we impose all these ridiculous rules on our kids? So I realized that my kids are happier. I'm happier. The end. No, that's a good lesson. And it kind of ties to my triumph, too, because my rule has always been like, if you in general are a nice person and do the things that you're supposed to do, then you can do the things that you want to do within reason, you know, if they're reasonable and they're not like actively dangerous. And my kids have like always played Xbox and watched, you know, small screens, YouTube and all that stuff. And they turn out fine. Um, So I think that is the right attitude. And uh, I think that like, isn't it more fun too to not have to have that fight like a million times a week? Seriously. I mean, it takes years off your life to have to have that (laughs) battle with your kids every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that it might not be fun for our audience and we all have triumphs, but I would be like completely remiss because this is the only opportunity I'm going to have in my life to have a triumph like this particular one. Um, So my son, Henry, graduated high school on Friday. Congratulations. And he got to make a speech at graduation. Thank you. Thank you. It was a very big deal. Uh, He got to make a speech at graduation uh, because he was class president for four years. And he made the kind of speech that I wouldn't typically talk about on the show, except that it's totally appropriate. And you'll hear why in a second. Um, He started the speech by saying, I'm going to do something a little different. And 
do something I love doing, which is telling all of you about something you did not ask to learn about that I find really interesting, which is basically my son's MO. He calls them dropping knowledge bombs. Uh, And his speech was about the ratification of the 19th Amendment and how it happened and how, you know, the Congress ratified it and then it went to the states. And then in 1920, it came down to this big showdown in Tennessee, which was going to be the final state that they needed to ratify suffrage and to get the women the vote uh, in the United States and how there was this 48-48 tie in the legislature and how a young legislator who was anti-suffrage named Harry Byrne uh, received a letter from his mom that he was clutching in his hand the day of the vote and the letter told him to be, quote, a good boy. And he ended up flipping and voting for suffrage, thereby granting women in the United States the right to vote in 1920. And so Henry told that story in his speech, and then he wrapped it up with this wrap-up, and I have the audio now. Please indulge me while I play this for you guys. I hope you understand why I do in just a second. There are so many reasons this story is one of my favorites. Not only does this moment show the powerful impact Settle Acts of Good can have on the history, but it shows it with a spectacularly nail-biting and cinema-like style. The reason I chose this particular story to tell today, however, is because of its more relevant and overt message. No matter who you are, where you come from, where you were going, occasionally, just occasionally, you should listen to your parents because they might just have something valuable to say. (laughs) Okay, was that not a a once-in-a-lifetime moment where your kid acknowledges, like, occasionally you should listen to your parents in front of hundreds of people? It's exciting, right? But only occasionally. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Well, we got temperament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. But you have that. On Can't tape. give parents too much credit. You have that on tape. You can play that back. I do. Whenever he chooses to be a knucklehead in the future, it's like, hey, listen, you told your whole class how awesome I am. So, and having that right there, that's priceless. <laughs> you know, Rebecca, I would consider making that the the sound that your phone makes when you get text messages. Oh, that's a good idea. You just know, from just, him? Just just, just <laughs> the clip of him saying to, you know, that occasionally that, that you should listen to your parents. That way you'll always have that reminder. And then you can easily look up that sound and play it whenever he ignores you. It's true. It's true. Well, that, the speech had the second um, effect, unintended or not. Although Henry will say, like, his target audience is always, like, old people. Like, he loves old people so much. So we, so we, so we did a bunch of party hopping after, you know, this whole weekend. Like, different families had parties, and we went to them, and people came to ours. And every time we went anywhere, it was always, like, the kid's grandmother or grandfather would come up and be like, oh, forget all those other kids. Your speech was the best. And Henry was like, yep, attended impact. Like, old people love me like, every day of the week. Well, <laughs> what about the the ladies? The ladies didn't like that? <laughs> no, the ladies liked it. I mean, I did have one mom tell me, like, there were a lot of, like, feminist overtones of his speech, and she was just like very excited. She was like, how did you just get your son to just like talk about being a feminist so openly? And I'm like, well, because it wasn't a choice in our house. Like it wasn't like, hey, you can develop your own ideas. And it was like, you are going to be a feminist. It's not a choice. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're going to learn how to use your fork and you're going to be a feminist. Like, and you're going to say thank you when someone gives you a gift. That Those are the three things that we will never stray from. Um, and, you know, you talk about like indoctrinating your kids. To me, that's not like a choice. It's like you're either right or you're wrong on that. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was the other thing. So the ladies did love the feminism and the old people loved his uh, callbacks to 1920, <laughs> which apparently <laughs> is the way to win over their hearts. Right. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Okay, now it's time for the business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, ask a teacher, and much, much more. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. As always, if you have a question you want us to answer, leave a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at momanddad at slate.com. Also, check out our Facebook group. It's awesome. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a fun community and we moderate it so it doesn't get crazy. And in Slate Plus today, we're talking about Dwayne Richards, because as it turns out, he's kind of a famous dad fluencer, and I am dying to know what that is all about. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program, and it's a great way to support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help Slate cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other benefits. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, of course you do. Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay. Back to the show. It's time for our first listener question. This question was sent in by email and is being read by Slate's Shasha Leonar. If you'd like to email a question to us, send it to momanddad at slate.com. Dear Mom and Dad, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer three years ago. He's fought it as hard as he could and by all definitions has done leagues better than was expected. And though no one has said it in so many words, I can see that the fight is dwindling down. He's in constant pain. His latest scan showed unprecedented tumor growth, and now he's moving to palliative care. What's more, we live several states and a two and a half hour plane ride away. This goes without saying, but he's a great dad. I love him, and I'm going to miss him desperately every day. But I would be okay except for one thing. My daughters, ages two and a half and five months, aren't ever going to know their grandpa. And he's an amazing grandpa. If I'm lucky, maybe my older daughter might have a few fuzzy memories, but that's it. And then I think about any kids we may have in the future. To know that my dad won't hold them? I can't handle that. I can't make myself believe it. Nor do I really want to. How will they know the consuming amount of love and pride this man has had for all of his grandkids? The eldest is seven, my nephew, so at least he'll remember. So my question is, how do you keep his spirit alive? And is it possible for my girls to ever have more than a faint memory? Or like me growing up with my mom's dad, will it simply be, mommy used to have a daddy, but doesn't anymore? I don't want that, but I can't make them love a memory. What can I do? Already missing grandpa. All right, Duane, do you want to uh, take a crack at answering this one first? Yeah, absolutely. So to the individual who sent this, um, I definitely feel your pain because my dad passed away in February from colon cancer. And I had to navigate that same tricky avenue that you are currently going down with. Do I bring the kids around? And how will that, you know, will the how will the kids react to it? But here's one thing that I'd say is that they're the most valuable resource that we have in this world is not money. It's not even health, believe it or not, it's time. So time is the only resource that you cannot get back when it's gone. So if it were me and what I did in the situation is I I had my daughters around my dad as often as possible and he might not have been healthy enough to lift them up or run around the yard with them but i wanted to capture every last moment that they had with him and yeah it was one of those things where he was not at his best and there were times when my daughters were able to see my dad at his healthiest but and their la- my daughter's last memories of my dad are when he was not at his healthiest. But you know what? At least, at least they have that memory of just being around him. And imagine the regret that you would have if you did not put your children around your dad, even if it was not 
even if he's not at his best, you just want to have him experience these kids. And it will also make his life, what's left of it, sad to say, brighter. Because that's the way it was for my dad. He would go days without smiling, but then as soon as he see the kids, his face would light up. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And it's going to be painful, but I'm telling you, there's no bigger pain than the pain of regret. So make sure you not regret having your kids around your dad, but you absolutely regret not having your kids around your dad. What do you think, Isaac? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, 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 um, my father-in-law died of heart failure right before Iris's first birthday. And so, you know, I was talking to Anne a bit about it and also just thinking about our own experience with Iris. And there, I will say, I feel like, I mean, that was a few years ago, obviously, Iris clearly was not at an age to form memories of him or anything like that. But I do feel like he's very present in our lives, despite not physically being there. And I'm not someone who believes in, in an afterlife either. I, I, I just mean, you know, we talk about him all the time when Iris says something or, you know, he had a lot of um, uh, catchphrases and sort of very dad-like idioms, you know, and and sayings and proverbs. And so uh, Anne often will be like, well, you know what your papa would have said right here, Iris, is this, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about it with her. And there's lots of photos of him around. Um, there's a, vi- I have two things. One is like a really practical thing. And then one is a less practical thing. The, the practical thing is, um, that we have noticed as Iris has gotten older is the kids really like to look at photos and videos of themselves when they were younger. It's something that's really interesting to them. And so I, I, I think that's an opportunity, you know, if there's a lot of sort of documentary evidence of your father, um, uh, uh, and of your father's interactions with them to, to keep him alive and to have them see, cause you can see on someone's face in a photo or video, you know, how much they, they loved their grandkids and how much they loved you. Um, the, the other thing I, I sort of asked Anne, like, what do you wish, you know, someone had told you in this moment or, you know, and, and what she said to me, which I thought was really, this sort of echoes what, uh, Dwayne was saying is that, you know, there's a, we have this image as a culture of the kind of, um, deathbed vigil, particularly with parents where we sit with them in their, their final moments. And we have these sort of long heart to hearts and we finally hear the things we wanted to hear from them and say the things we wanted to say to them. And Am was there for the end with her father. But what she said was, you know, the most helpful advice she got, um, was actually, you don't want to wait till then to have those conversations. You want to have those Mm. conversations as quickly as soon as you possibly kind of can. And the the reason why is that not for everyone, and, and maybe this wasn't your experience, Dwayne, I don't know, but for her father and, you know, in talking to the hospice nurses, for a lot of people, as they get sort of right up to that moment, they, they really do actually begin pulling back and kind of letting go from what's around them. And those conversations, especially if there's like morphine involved to, to help manage the pain and everything like that, become more and more difficult to have. And so you know, that sense of like, don't, don't, uh, don't, I mean, I don't, you don't, I don't get the sense that the letter writer is taking for granted the time they have left at all. So I don't want this to sound like a reprimand or anything, but it's like the, for both yourself and for the kids to take advantage of that time, have those conversations, videotape them, tape record him, photograph him, you know, send him messages, just, just to sort of, you know, build both sort of in your mind and physically an archive of this person. Um, I, I think we'll pay great dividends. And I also just want to say, I'm incredibly sorry you're going through this. I remember going through this with Anne, and it is very, very difficult. It is. Uh, my stepdad died a couple years ago. Actually, is around the time I started appearing on this show. And I remember talking about this very issue. And I was really, uh, because my parents live a state away, really uh, kind of grappling with how much to involve my kids in the process of George dying. I was very close with him. He was definitely kind of like, you know, I'm not afraid to say this because none of the other grandparents know how to listen to podcasts, but he's definitely the favorite grandparent of all the grandparents (laughs) that my kids have had, you know, including like step grandparents and so forth. Um, And, you know, his 
just sort of who he was just really sort of runs strong. And he's always like the bright light of like the older generation of our family. But hospice is rough. It really, really is. Palliative care is rough. And I what I really struggled with was worrying that the kids would attach you know, the palliative care portion of his life with their memory of him and how much to, you know, bring them over. When I would go over, of course, every time I went over, I was always worried it was the last time. Uh, The last time I did go over, I actually did have the kids with me, and that was the last time we saw George. And they were fine. They absolutely do not attach that experience with their memories of George. Um, But I think that what this writer inner is really, like, addressing here is – you know, the future, especially because she has a baby, a baby who won't have that relationship to remember. And, you know, I think Isaac is right, is that you have the ability to, like, in- implant those memories, to make them, like, an integral part of uh, who she is or who he is, your baby, and, like, what their life will look like and be like by invoking your dad. You know, my dad always said this. My dad uh, used to love doing this. One of the greatest gifts uh, George gave us, and this is going to sound maybe a little weird, but um, was he asked my mom to uh, give the boys access like to all of his clothes, like anything they want, they should just have. And he had this like large collection of like what I thought of at the time on him as being like old man sweaters, but they were just, you know, like old like, vintage V-neck, like cashmere sweaters from like the 80s and whatever. And my kids absolutely like wear his clothes all the time they love his clothes they wear them all the time they have old like ll bean like big parkas that they wear in the snow that belong to grandpa george and even having some of those like physical items around just really helps invoke those memories so it doesn't have to be something valuable or something that takes up a lot of space but it is really nice to sort of be surrounded by things that george loved and maybe you can find ways to you know incorporate uh, some clothing or some memorabilia or some things that were important. I mean, George also loved arranging flowers. And like, I always talk about that whenever we have flowers in the house and he loved gardening and I'm terrible at gardening. And I always kind of complain that I wish he was around to help me. I don't know. He's definitely still part of the conversation and that's really, really possible to do. And I don't think for this listener, it's going to be hard to do because it sounds like she loves her dad a lot. And I'm so sorry to hear about what's you, what's happening. You know, what's interesting is that there's so many ways that we can help shape the narrative on what our parents are to our kids. And I think my, my dad's motto, as I mentioned earlier, is to celebrate life. So when he passed away, that's why I mentioned the whole thing about the stupid screen time rule that I created. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? It's like, my dad was like, look, (laughs) just let him watch TV, let him do whatever. You know, also there's days where it's like, man, I just don't feel like cooking, y'all. Like, let's just go down to Menchie's, a little uh, frozen yogurt spot by my house. And it's like, let's just have Menchie's for dinner tonight. And what kid wouldn't want to have frozen yogurt and ice cream for dinner? So it's like, listen, we don't make this a regular occurrence, mind you. So, but when we do, it's it's cool for them. And a lot of times I just remind them, hey, my dad's my dad always used to say, grandpa used to say, celebrate life. So let's celebrate life. And then my kids are like, how can we celebrate life today? Like it doesn't have to be ice cream for dinner, but it can be like, let's play video games. Let's go shoot some hoops on the back on the driveway. Let's go look at the stars when the smog's not around in Los Angeles, which is never. But um yeah, <laughs> it's just finding ways to bring your dad's memory to life in a way that benefits not only you but benefits your children as well all right well good luck to you and feel free to get back in touch and and let us know how it's going this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance hey listeners whether you love true crime or comedies celebrity interviews news or even motivational speakers you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue right and guess what now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself 
and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, it's time for another listener question. This one was also sent in by email and is being read by Slate's Shasha Leonar. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have a charming, talented eight-year-old who has predominantly inattentive type ADHD, but is also fairly hyperactive, especially at home. Mealtimes have always been tricky, and I continue to struggle with his inability to sit still at family meals. And I'd love to get advice on what works and what a reasonable expectation might be, from Rebecca especially, on what it is like from the perspective of someone who has ADHD. Generally, my son will eat the minimum and then get up and wander around the room. If he has only eaten a tiny amount, we ask him to sit down again, but otherwise we let him wander around and come back and sit down for fruit for dessert after everyone else is finished. He tells me it is really hard to sit still at mealtimes, so I'm empathetic, but it stresses me out a little that this is a life skill I'm not teaching him. The way we were brought up is that you don't get up until everyone, or at least the other children, are finished. And that is so ingrained in me, it is hard to fight, and my partner and I occasionally snap and lose our temper. Some extra context is that he is a little bit underweight, so that layers on anxiety around the fact that he rarely sits down and finishes a meal. He's on a low dose of medication, which has helped at school, but doesn't make much difference by the time dinner comes around or when, pre-meds, we have family breakfasts on the weekend. Any advice? Oh, yeah, I've got some advice. If you guys don't mind me going first and dispensing that advice. Not go for it. <laughs> um, Give the people what is... they want. <laughs> this is the perennial problem of parents uh, that parents of kids with ADHD have and that I had. And I also have ADHD, So I, but it took me a long time to understand that's what I had. And the thing that you have to do here is... Your kid is telling you it is hard for him to sit still, and yet you are still thinking it is somehow arbitrarily important that he does so. It is not just hard for your kid to sit still, and the mindset that you have to get in, the only thing that will bring you peace and that will uh, allow you to stop, you and your partner to stop snapping, and for you to really realize like how unimportant this actually is, is for you to come to the understanding that at this point, at eight years old, on a low dose of ADHD medication, it is not hard for him to sit still at meal at mealtimes. He cannot sit still at mealtimes. He's not, I won't do this to you, Ing. He is, I can't do this, Ing, is what is happening right here. You have to get in that mindset. When you do, what you'll start to do is appreciate the three or four or five minutes during which he is sitting still and doing some eating. And he will also be able to let go of the fact that when he gets up from the table and starts wandering around or goes to sit on the couch and, and starts reading a book or playing with toys while everyone else is just sitting there politely eating, because by the way, they can and he can't. Once you get in that mindset, you will start feeling appreciative of the times that he can and uh, realizing that it's not because he's obeying, but because he, at that moment he can. And you will start letting go of the idea that the rules for him, which, by the way, I'm all about table manners. But let's be honest, that rule of sitting until everybody is finished, especially with little kids, it's an arbitrary idea that's been sort of passed on generationally. And while on its face, yes, it's polite. It's the, it's the great, right, polite thing to do. But if you can't, which your son can't, then you can't. And the expectation for your family, I think, should be let's he he does meals differently than we do right now. He can't do it the way we do. So we appreciate when he does because he can in the moment and we don't stress when he can't. Your son, I know that, you know, the underweight thing and the ADHD thing are tied. He's taking medication very often. A lower appetite is a symptom of that. And very often, kids on this medication have a high metabolism. Uh, there's like some correlation between hyperactivity and a high metabolism that you can like read all about elsewhere. I'm not going to give you medical advice. But I promise your son will not starve to death. I promise. 
and setting up a sort of more flexible routine for him under the guise of he can't do this, so we're going to accommodate him in this other way is the right thing to do. If he had a different kind of disability, you would not hesitate to be more flexible about whether or not he could sit still there for 45 minutes or an hour while everybody finished eating. You wouldn't hesitate if his disability meant that he had some sort of spontaneous bodily motion or needed to go use the restroom like 14 times during a meal or couldn't see or couldn't hear. You would not hesitate to accommodate. So For your own sanity and to bring the fun back to dinner for you, because honestly, the whole reason that we're sitting around together at night having dinner together is to enjoy each other and have a good time and connect and talk. You cannot do that if you continue to obsess on what your son won't do when the real reality is that he can't. So that is my advice to you is to loosen up, accommodate, let this one particular issue go. As he gets older, you are modeling what it is you hope that he will get to by you sitting there and the rest of your family sitting there. And as he gets older and as the front of his brain matures and as he sort of figures out his executive functioning, he will be able to do more. But right now he just can't. And if you start believing that really or trying to believe it, it will help you be less crazy around this. I'm not saying you're crazy because I remember feeling the same way, but it will help you uh, behave less crazily <laughs> around this. I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I on, on the mark here or am I nuts for giving this advice? I don't think you're nuts by any means. I think that that's pretty spot on. The only thing that I would add is, is this kid being disruptive when he gets up or is he just getting up for the sake of getting up? Because as you stated, like he just literally cannot sit still. And I think my thing is this, I know plenty of kids who suffer from ADHD. I was one of them growing up. And my thing was, or at least what I was told is like, if you had to get up, you get up. But being disruptive is not going to be tolerated. Like you can't be, can't be a jerk, like and run around and like, pull your sister's hair or slap your brother across the head or something like that. Like that ain't that ain't cool. That ain't gonna fly. But I think like, (laughs) yeah, but I mean, if you have to get up just because you are so restless and your mind is so restless that you have to do that, um, that's one thing. The one, another thing that actually worked for me is just, and I'm assuming this parent tried all this, but maybe not, is really to engage the child in conversation, even if it's just like about his day or the things he's interested in. And what I've noticed is that kids tend to sit still when they're talking about stuff that they actually enjoy talking about, whether it's Star Wars, the Avengers, video games, last night's basketball game, whatever the case may be, and just really hammering it in and just asking open-ended questions to get them involved in conversation. Like, oh yeah, so yesterday I was playing with George and like he threw me this really nice pass and he made a shot and... And then before you know it, you go and you're having conversation and 15 minutes pass, 20 minutes pass, 30 minutes pass. And guess what? The kid's sitting in a seat. I've seen it before. And mm. I think one of the issues is that sometimes parents, like you mentioned, Rebecca, they sit back and it's like they expect the kid to follow these archaic rules that we grew up with. And they may not, you might want to have a conversation like with everyone talking and then the kid just is sitting there not talking. Then he's going to get up because his mind's telling him to get up. But sometimes if you actually really focus on that kid and what his needs are and the things that he wants to say or talk about, it may make him sit for five minutes longer, 10 minutes longer, 15 minutes longer. And it could make dinner time more palatable, well, literally and figuratively, I guess. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also when I talk about sort of like positively reinforcing and enjoying the times that they your your son does sit, like the thing isn't to say, you know, I'm so excited that you were able to sit for five minutes. The thing to say is it was really nice having you at the table with us. It was really nice talking with you. It was really nice being with you, yep. right? Because if you if you're positively reinforcing around the very behavior that you're trying to be more flexible about that they literally can't do, then what you're basically saying is when you don't do this, there's something wrong with you. What you want to do is positively reinforce just like the time together, because that, again, is what mealtime is supposed to be about. What do you think, Isaac? I mean, I, I do not 
uh, have ADHD. Um, uh, you know, so I, part of this has been just listening to both of you and, and learning as much as possible. You know what I mean? I, I do think that, um, mealtime, regardless of, of what your kid is like, mealtime is just like a particularly fraught thing, you know, uh, um, because maybe you've made them food and they don't want that food. They want something else. So it feels ungrateful or, you know, you want them to sit there and tell you about their day and they don't want to talk about their day or, you know, it is, we, we, and I think some of that is because we have very clear ideas of what, mealtime is supposed to look like and uh and be like and i don't know that they actually match what our own mealtimes were like when we were a kid actually if you Mm. stop and think about it you know like i had three siblings our mealtime was utter chaos right it was like all six of us there was often a college student living in an apartment in the basement too so it was like seven people around (laughs) around a table eating you know you had to eat as like i eat so fast because like if you didn't get to the food it was gone right everyone's talking at the same time you have to kind of like you know you have when it when it's time to enter conversation you don't say excuse me right you're like strapping on your flak vest and like i'm going in you know so it was i mean you know that's what that was like you know and at the same time i'm always with iris like you need to say excuse me before you interrupt as if my family was like that ever at all you know and so i i think uh now i've guessed it on mom and dad are fighting a, a few times now and I always feel like there's a sort of subgenre of the letter writing questions that is kind of like, how much should I be like a reed in the wind versus super uptight about this, you know? Mm-hmm. And often our advice tends to default to actually you should be a little bit more like a reed in the wind. And I, I, I think this is, you know, one of one of those cases that that mealtime mealtime's like a weirdly stressful thing for a lot of families. I know it is it is for me uh, uh, as the one who does the cooking. Um, and so I, I think if you can make it more of a fun, less fraught thing for all of you, it'll, it'll, it'll pay a lot more dividends, but that does mean letting go of some expectations of what it's going to be like. Yeah. I mean, with Teddy, we used to have like an alter, like he could, he could go like now at this point, he's, you know, 16 and a half. He usually sits with us for all of dinner, but sometimes he doesn't, you know, sometimes he also still to this day wanders off. He says, excuse me, he clears his plate and he just goes to do whatever. But like when he was little, we used to set up an area for him to play like near where we were eating and he could just do that. Like, you know, he couldn't. Like, like Dwayne said, he couldn't be a dick to din- during dinner, yet not at your exact words, but he, he wasn't allowed to be like run around the table and be a jerk or turn on the TV if we had the TV off or whatever. But like he could just go play quietly with toys or he could go back to doing what he was doing beforehand and sort of setting those boundaries. But like if the idea here is that it's supposed to be nice, I mean, Isaac, you said you do the cooking. So you have this image when, at night when you're like putting the meal together and that's labor like this is going to be nice. We're all going to enjoy this together. It's not enjoyable if you are so hung up and and being not a con- and like and like saying what nice is for other people. Like you're right. not accommodating and you're saying it's not nice unless you are doing exactly this the way that I think you should be doing it. Like you're ruining it for yourself when when you don't when you aren't flexible. I think that's why I like the read in the wind thing more of the time because I I do think things should be Nice. If the idea is to create pleasant memories, do you want like the memory to be like I had to yell every night at dinner because my, my kid would leave the table and I decided that was important? I have a friend. I just remembered I had this flashback of, of a friend of mine who had like a eight, the, her son who's now in college was eight years old at the time. And she was telling me that the only way she like there was a period of time. It didn't last that long. It was like a week or two. Right. It's not like months. But where the only way that he would eat dinner was that he was like under the table pretending to be a lion. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would like lay his food on a plate under the table and he would just eat it under the table, you know, under the table, which which is like a, that's an extreme. I can understand why you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. But it's just like I find that like if you just talk to a lot of parents about what their dinner routines are actually like, it really bears very little resemblance to the idea <laughs> we have in our head of what feeding your children entails. Yeah, I- I'm not trying to be judgmental, but. Yeah, that, that that ain't gonna. I, I, yeah, that ain't flying. My house. I'm sorry. Like, uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't feed my ch- I would not allow I would not have my child doing a lion impression under a table while I put their food on a plate. That is not the kind of parent I am. I'm just simply saying. No, no, no. You know, it's cool. Uh, uh, I mean, listen. 
is the kid I mean, is the kid all right? Like, is the kid going to, as long as they're going to be okay, like, that's cool for that family. I'm just saying, like, if if someone came to my house, I'm like, oh, hey, honey, like, oh, wait, hold on. My kid's under the table. <laughs> let me let me give him some steak real quick. And she's like, ah, growling like a fool under the table. Like, yo, they're like, bruh, you good, bruh? You're like, you sure? Like, you, you, you're you a good dad? Like, you sure you don't need some parenting classes? But my, the point that I was, right. the point I was going to make earlier is like the, the at home thing is one aspect to this. But what about restaurants? So I think at yep. home eating is, at least for me, is not nearly as, as stressful as it is when you take your kid out and you're around other grown ass men and women who are looking at you thinking like, uh, what's going on? Why is this kid like walking around all like all these tables and stuff? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I always found that, and and this this kid is eight that she's writing in about. So this is why it is so important to understand like the won't versus can't thing, because I've always found that if you are more accommodating around the stuff that your kid can't do or has a really hard time doing and you are kind about it and you make it about time spent together and not about, okay, I'm making an exception for you with this rule, but you actually make it like you have to get in the mindset of can't, not won't. Then when there are special times where you go to someone else's house, you go to a restaurant and you want to say like, listen, we need to make an agreement here. Like I'm going to bring this baggie of Legos, but, uh, and I know there's that moment where you always want to leave the table like you can't this time because we're in a restaurant and that's not cool and for a million reasons that would be like embarrassing for all of us so you know as you know like I know this is difficult for you and like I'm cool with it at home but just asking you this like time like you can't and I've found in all of my parenting years of sort of adapting this mentality that if you do listen to your kids and meet them where they are with their stuff then they are way more willing to meet you where you are with your stuff i.e taking them to public places, not swearing in public or at school, you know, if you're like a little more flexible at home, but you're like, dude, you cannot do it at school because that makes us look terrible. They're just more willing if you are more, uh, if you, if you're more willing to meet them where they are. I mean, that has been my experience. I, I agree. I also think like people with the whole, like bring a device, man. Like I'm not one of those parents that are like, oh, I'll be damned if my kid has an iPhone at the table. Well, guess what? Like <laughs> my kid, my kid's sitting still. Is she bothering you? No, because she's on her damn device. That's why she's not bothering you. Otherwise, she'd be like looking at your spaghetti and putting her <laughs> nose in it. So I'm not like, I mean, what's the like people are so judgmental when it comes to that. Like they act like, oh, I'm the greatest parent in the world because my daughter reads Shakespeare and knows Mandarin poems. Well, great. Good for her. But guess what? My kid's sitting still. And she's not bothering you. So if if we've made a plan, you know, usually if if we've made a plan to go out and Iris is sort of like, you know, it's borderline to or she's she's approaching wits end. Right. We uh, we we definitely are like, you know, here, have a phone. Look at it while we we get you, you know, while we get your blood sugar up with pasta you know what i mean like while we wait for the pasta to come i mean that's that's like a really frequent thing i completely yeah I completely it's a agree. tool I, it's a tool yeah absolutely it's also <laughs> how we survive flights oh hell yeah unlimited screen time can you i mean how the hell do our parents <laughs> deal with flights before like the ipad like did they just put us on that like nyquil <laughs> diet or what like i don't that, I, I just have yes, no idea. That's what they did. That's what they did. Okay. <laughs> they rubbed out. whiskey on our gums. Oh, there's that too. <laughs> yeah. That's that was cool. for teething. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to ask our panel a question, please send it to momanddadatslate.com. And I promise to address questions that aren't only specifically addressed to me, even though that was super fun. All right, now is the time of the show where we make recommendations. Our old host, Gabe Roth, used to do a big spiel here, trying to give it a second name, but we're not doing that. We're just calling it The Recommendations. Dween, do you have a recommendation for us? Uh, yeah, <laughs> recommendations. So um, I do. And I think one thing that I came up with, and similar to Isaac, I do a lot of cooking at home too, and I... My youngest daughter is probably the pickiest eater on the planet. And I came up with 
I don't want to sit here and act like I'm some crazy inventor. I'm not Emerald Lagasse or anything in the kitchen, right? But at least I know how to get my kids to eat the stuff that I make. So a lot of it comes down to putting, and who, I don't know who it was. I think it was Jerry Seinfeld's wife who did this whole sneaking vegetables into stuff. And I have this bomb ass tomato sauce, pasta sauce thing that I make for my daughters. And a lot of times it's just as simple as putting like a little bit of kale in it and just a dash, like maybe a teaspoon of sugar in it. And I'm telling you, you, I'll have to give you guys a recipe. You put that, you put that on a plate with some spaghetti or some penne, your kids are going to crush it. They're going to get their daily dose of vegetables and they have no clue about it. Then when they eat the normal stuff, they're like, oh gosh, this is kind of nasty, dad. Like, yeah, because my stuff is awesome and it's healthy and you're going to grow up to be like a super soldier because this thing is like, has is packed mm. with vitamins. So I highly recommend sneaking vitamins, vitamins, sneaking vegetables into your potatoes. Like you could put it in potatoes stuff. You could put it in pasta sauce you can put it in pizza sauce or whatever it is man i i it works it works and they will love it and they will not know the difference yeah and that that addresses that other thing too of like judgy parents who are like yeah but your kid has to know that they like vegetables no they don't they don't have to know they don't give a damn i don't give a Damn, if they, they go through, they could be on their deathbed at nine years old. Oh, my daddy, he, I just found out that he put this stuff in my vegetables. Oh, gosh, that, that old man, he was so tricky. I don't give a damn about that. Are they healthy? They live to be 90 years old. So guess what? It worked. <laughs> Tricking your kids into doing things they don't want to do that they need to do is a core parenting skill. Totally. It's like it's a core competency, you know what I mean? Facts. So it's like if that means you're you're sneaking kale into your brownies or if that means you're, you know, what whatever Saying target it is. is closed when target it's not. is closed. Oh boy, yeah. I've done a, definitely a lot of like, oh <laughs> that store is closed right now. But why are all those people walking in, Wednesdays. Daddy? Why are all those people walking in and without and getting stuff? They work at? there. They're doing inventory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna try that. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go next because <laughs> uh, mine is also food related. Um, I thought this was something everybody knew, but I found out this weekend it is not something everybody knows. So I'm going to go ahead and recommend it. Your local grocery store, I don't care how low end or high end it is, the lower end, probably the better, frankly, will make you a sheet cake with a photo on it of your choosing, period. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that that's the thing that apparently people don't know. Uh, for Henry's graduation party, I picked the saddest, most pathetic, like kindergarten school portrait photo, one in which he looks like uh, his dog just died or something. He just looks super miserable. And I brought it to my local market basket and went to the old ladies at the bakery and they took the eight by 10 photo. And then I got picked up this huge sheet cake with this giant sad picture of Henry on it. And then when I came to pick up the cake, they gave me my photo back and I had this amazing custom cake. And you can do any photo you want. You can download something from the internet if your kid likes a certain character. Uh, I specifically enjoy putting embarrassing photos of my kids on their cakes. But I was amazed by the number of people who came to my party and were like, where did you get that? And I'm like, I got a market basket. Like every grocery store does this, guys. Every single grocery store does this. Costco does it. Walmart does it. They all do it. So that's my recommendation is take advantage of this very inexpensive cake buying opportunity. Sheet cake is cheap and everyone loves it. Even if they say they don't, they do. They're lying if they say they don't like cheap sheet cake because cheap sheet cake is the bomb. And you can get whatever you want on it. And it's awesome. That's my recommendation. What have you got, Isaac? Can I do two? Is that a thing? Sure. You're a guest. You can do whatever you want. All right. Great. I'm going to do seven. No, I only have two. <laughs> the first is, is uh, uh, so one day, like a week ago, Iris came home and said, I want to play charades. And 
uh, I was totally mystified by this request because to me, charades is a game where there's like a hat and then everyone like writes some things on a piece of paper. So you have to be able to write and you have to be able to read and you have to be able to do like elaborate pantomime where you're like first word, three syllables, second syllable, and then you do like a bumblebee or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah. these all seem like things that a four, four and a half year old would um, suck at. But uh, it turns out that I, I did not know this, but, you know, Anne did some cursory Googling. There are many, many companies that make decks of cards with images on them uh, hmm. for the specific purpose of uh, playing charades with people who are too young to read or don't read that well or, you know, whatever. And so we got um, one of them. I have a feeling lots of listeners with like four-year-old kids are laughing at me that I did not already know this as they hear this. But just in case, uh, we got one of them. And you know what? Uh, if you have like a dramatic, playful kid who likes to act shit out... Um, these charades decks are a godsend every day for the past three days at breakfast and at dinner, we've played charades with Iris. It's actually how we get her to eat. We're like, oh, well, before you take your next term, why don't you have another bite of edamame or whatever? You know what I mean? And then she does that and then we play it and, um, they're just like really fun and she gets a huge kick out of it. And it's really funny to watch her try to figure out like what, are the clues or physicality things that will get us to guess what they are. So it's just, it's a really an adorable thing to do with a little person. So uh, I highly recommend if you have a little kid, you get some of these decks. If you just let, there's like a billion companies make them. Um, and then you start to play charades with them. It's, it's, it's really fun. That's awesome. Um, so that's my recommendation for the kids. My recommendation for the parents is actually another food recommendation. We're like three for three on this. Um, as I said, you know, I do most of the cooking in our in our house. And so I'm always on the lookout for cookbooks that have stuff that can be made relatively fast that is not boring, um, you know, because you just get bored of making the same old thing every now and then. Uh, uh, sorry, let me take that again. Because I just get bored of making the same thing you know, time and again, how many times can I like, uh, saute some kale and chickpeas in a pan with garlic and be like, that's dinner. Um, so, um, <laughs> that's dinner. Ew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, that's why I need cook. That's why I wanted more cookbooks. Um, uh, that is not the only thing I make for dinner. I'm just saying, you know, uh, um, and so, uh, Chris Kimball, who I, uh, used to run and I think founded cooks illustrated in America's test kitchen has a cookbook out called, uh, milk street, Tuesday nights and the cookbook is in three sections fast faster and fastest which I think correspond to under 45 minutes under 30 minutes and under 20 minutes or something like that to make and if you know how to cook it is not a beginning cookbook but if you know how to cook uh, you can really bang those dishes out in that amount of time and they all work and they all make a huge amount of food and they all taste really great and so um, uh, that is that's a that's a cookbook I highly recommend to parents who like cooking and are looking for things Things they can make quick. I'm intrigued. So, wait a second. Are we talking like 20 minutes? Does that include prep time too? Like from like idea to table? Yeah, usually the 20 minutes includes prep time. A lot of those recipes are pasta, right? So while the water is heating up, you're also mincing the garlic or whatever, you know? Um, uh, uh, and they and and yeah, they they come together really fast. Dang, that's awesome. I'm sold. The one thing I will say, though, is that sometimes that speed is predicated on, uh, you know, your kitchen looking like a disaster when it's done. Right. You're not this is not something you're doing like you're not neatening up after everything. you. Do. Oh, no. Uh, uh, there might be some work offloaded on the person who's cleaning up after you. Yeah, that's but that's you know, like problem. I made I made one of them last night. <laughs> I made a, a really delicious like pasta and, and cauliflower dish from that cookbook yesterday. And I think it said it would take 30 minutes. And that's exactly how long it took. Sounds a lot better than chickpeas and kale sautéed in a pan. <laughs> Look, if you do it with garlic and crushed red pepper and enough olive oil, I'm that's sure it's delicious. Pretty, that's actually a, of, a pretty yes. filling and healthy uh, uh, dish. Yes, I know. I was just joking. Remember, I just recommended grocery store sheet cake to America, so I'm just a little jealous. <laughs> I love grocery store sheet cake. Believe me, if I had a choice for dinner between grocery store sheet cake and a lovely, <laughs> healthy bowl of beans and greens, I would definitely choose grocery store sheet cake i mean I'm isaac not. you live in brooklyn right that is like that kale thing is so also is very brooklyn it's also very la i mean everything is. is 
I'm yeah. sure there's a kale sheet cake out here somewhere. I would not doubt that. Um, it's so. <laughs> That's the dream. It's just I can't get. I just I don't know. I don't why why people like kale. I don't get it. I don't. Some I don't get it. <laughs> I, it doesn't taste like anything. You know, I have I've I eat a lot less kale now than I used to. But there was definitely like the year that it got really popular in both Brooklyn and L.A. I was like, yeah, I'm sure you could just do this with kale or that with kale. And then I got burnt out on it. I'm like, give me chard or you know any any collard other greens, reason. Collard something, greens. anything, anything, <laughs> anything. <laughs> All right, that is our show. If you have a question you want to hear us address on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email momanddadatslate.com. And join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting there. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and I want to give a big thanks to Isaac Butler and Dwayne Richards for joining me this week. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.